It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. What's going on, Hokie Nation? Welcome into this week's edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. The Virginia Tech women's basketball team is heading to the Final Four in Dallas and Virginia Tech spring football launches into week two of spring ball. Best part of it all, Andy Bitter makes his podcast debut as a member of the Tech Sideline team. That's all coming up on episode 291 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, which starts right now. We record on Wednesday, March 29th, 2023, from our high-tech studio at the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center right here in Blacksburg, Virginia. We welcome you in, whether you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you consume your podcast, or if you're watching on YouTube. If you do happen to be on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe while you're there, and also turn on the notification bell so you don't miss any future TSL content. Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. First Bank and Trust Company is the bank that puts you first. Visit www.firstbank.com to learn more. Let's go ahead and dive into our show today. Introduce everybody on the set. To my right, brand new addition to the team, senior staff writer Andy Bitter. Across the way, founder and general manager Will Stewart. This is for Andy. (laughs) (laughs) Behind the scenes producing this afternoon, Mr. Carter Hill. And I'm your host, Giovanni Heater. Let's go ahead and uh, tell this story a little bit. Andy, welcome to the crew. Will, how did this all come to be? So Andy and I see each other at the gym all the time. First of all, we've known each other for years. We had Andy, uh, when he was working at The Athletic, he'd written a book, and we had him guest on the podcast back when we had It wasn't the, as high tech back yeah. then. This has been yeah. upgraded quite a bit since then. Really? So yeah. what do you remember about that? I remember that you, you and Chris both had your desks in here as well. So it was a little, <laughs> little cramped, but uh, this is... Wow, I'm Fancy. impressed. This thing has expanded. Yeah, I'm like in a, a, a cabin in the in the woods out here, just talking <laughs> hokies. I like this. Thing. <laughs> nice. Um, so I get to. So anyway, so you know, Andy and I have known each other for years and had a professional relationship for years, but we see each other at the gym a lot too. So we, it's like our. I, I the joke I make with Andy is it's our golf course. You know, it's where Andy and I meet and talk business and stuff like that. Um. I always, let me figure out how to put this exactly correctly. Um, Particularly back when Andy worked for the Roanoke Times, you see what's happening in the newspapers and they're shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. So as a guy who runs a business, you always think to yourself, you know, there could be some meeting at some point, something could happen at some point and, and we might be in a position to try to get him to work for us. When he went to the athletic, I was like, ah, man, well, that's over. Um, and then, you know, the athletic got bought by the New York Times and, and it went from what I would call the venture capital stage where they've got tens of millions of dollars and they're just spending it to having to run it like a business and you never know what will happen. So uh, Chris Coleman and I would sit around and talk about this. Like, what if what if the athletic decides to not cover Virginia Tech? We didn't think that was really going to happen, but we talked about it. And so... We always had it in the back of our mind, and then I, I didn't think it was going to happen when it happened. 
Uh, so Andy announced on, I think it was February 24th, that the Athletic was ceasing its Virginia Tech beat and therefore ceasing its employment of Andy Bitter. Um, and so for me, uh, I probably reached out, I, I think I reached out to Andy immediately and then saw him in the gym probably a day or two after. And I am, uh, I am, mm, I don't know if this is the exact phrasing I want to use, but I'm sensitive to the plight of a man who has a wife and family and is in that situation. So for me, it wasn't just, I really want this guy to work for us. It was here, here's a guy that, you know, has been cut loose unexpectedly. And so we got to talking and, uh, you know, I made him uh, an offer that I felt was aggressive because I really want him to work for us. And, uh, you know, we had to, we had to meet a few times and then talk things over. And then I finally figured out somewhere along the way that I had to meet his wife because you have to meet the wife. The wife's the decision maker. So right. You know, yeah. you have to well, the, the wife, you know, Andy and I know each other and we've had all these professional discussions, but ultimately I'd never met his wife, Annie before. And I'm like, you know, she's got to lay eyes on you and ask you questions and know that she can trust you before she says, okay, Andy, you can do this. She's the one who sniffed out the uh, the New York Times being bad news yeah. ahead of time when it got bought. She's like, I don't know about this, so I have to trust her instincts on that. I like also I like how you know Will got the humble brag in there. It's like we talk at the gym all the time, you know, between sets, repping two twenty five. We have this discussion, just <laughs> drops that in very casually how this whole thing on works. Or heavy leg days, right? We, we occasionally chat. Uh no, but I would say you know Will was very aggressive and you know yeah he reached out that first day like he said and things progressed from there and i'm i'm thrilled to be here this is the perfect situation i can continue to cover virginia tech don't have to move the family Uh, my wife's got a great job she can continue doing that and i mean nobody's going to cover virginia tech better than us yeah so let's do it yeah absolutely we were uh we were all so sad to see what happened with the athletic but we're all so 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 glad uh that you're here and these football podcasts are going to go crazy uh as well once you get you chris coleman d will all in the same room just going to sit back and watch the magic happen so that's going to be a good time no doubt i mean the only thing i could add to all that is that uh one of the things we're hearing from a lot of Hokie fans is great now i can get everything in one place true because there were a lot of people that were subscribing to tech sideline there were a lot of people that were subscribed subscribing to the athletic because they wanted both places you know and, and now they got all in one place and they're happy Awesome. All right, well, let's go ahead and talk some women's basketball. We'll get into football in the second half of our show and bring Chris on this set. Let's talk women's basketball. Final four. Man, does that have a ring to it? Regardless of what happens, you're going to have a final four banner hanging up inside Castle Coliseum. Will, as somebody that has been around Virginia Tech Athletics for so long, has invested your entire professional career, both of you have, uh, into Virginia Tech Athletics what does that feel like? Because um, I think it's a little different and probably means a little bit more to someone who saw it at its peak back in 1999, who right. have been around since the beginning, compared to somebody who like like me or Carter, who are new students, very exciting still, but I'm sure it means a little more to you. Yeah, it's, uh, um, you know, so many times Virginia Tech has been close and hasn't made it. Um, the 1999 football championship game, uh, the the men's soccer team, played in a Final Four. The women's soccer team played in a Final Four. Uh, We saw baseball and softball just last year get really close to making the College World Series. So it's, it's, 
uh, not to get all touchy feeling, but, but I'm so happy for the people in the program because we talk about this all the time. Coaches talk about this all the time. Coaches are here year after year after year, but there are athletes that get their one chance mm-hmm. for this. And so I'm really happy for these, all these players that, that came through in the clutch and have made the final four. And I don't think it's really sunk in on me yet, but in making up the thumbnail for this YouTube video, I selected a picture of, you know, Georgia Amor holding up the, the regional championship trophy. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought to myself, you know what, that thing's going somewhere in Merriman or Han Hurst actually, and it's always going to be there. It will never go away. Um, so that's, uh, those are my thoughts in the moment, um, and I can babble on a lot more about that. But, you know, what do you think, Andy? Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible achievement. And it's one of the best seasons in the history of Virginia Tech athletics. And, you know, it's you feel good for Kenny Brooks as a coach. I mean, he's such a nice guy. You know, they've been building this up just sort of slowly over the years. And, you know, a couple of years ago, they were going to make the tournament for the first time, I believe. And then COVID canceled the tournament. So you, it, it's, a, it's a difficult situation like that. But, uh, you know, this is just a fun team to watch. And it seems like a team that everybody knows what their role on the team is. And they go out there and they just execute. And they've been playing at such a high level these last couple of weeks. I mean, it's been incredible. Uh, I've taken my daughter over to a couple games uh, to watch. She mostly likes the color on the side, but I've enjoyed watching <laughs> it in person too. They just, they play well together. And as you know, Kitley's the force down low. Amor is, is the bulldog point guard. The, I mean, she was a one woman press break against Ohio state. They just get the ball to her. And she just dribbles right through the whole thing. Uh, you know, soul being the sort of the energy person off the bench. I mean, how many times did she get hit in the face? It seemed like in the last couple rounds going for a rebound or just physical play and she bounces right back up and the team builds off that. And then other people that hit threes. I mean, it's just, it's a well-rounded team that's really fun to watch play together. And when they're playing at this level, I mean, it's just great basketball. Yeah. To your point, it almost feels like they have every piece that you need, right? You have an incredibly athletic, explosive point guard who just makes those jaw-dropping plays in Amor. Um, and then you have Kitley, who's your player of the year and that like keystone player um, that's like your star of the team. And, and she's one of the best centers, uh, if not the best center in the country. But then you have your role players like DeAsia Gregg. Kayla King is your sharpshooter. She's not going to do it um, off the dribble, but working off the ball, she's almost always going to be open um, if you need her to get open for a shot. And, and you mentioned Taylor Soul, and it's like and then you have that that sixth player um, off the bench when you need Keanu trailer to come in and play big point guard minutes. It's like, there's not a missing piece. It has kind of all the puzzle pieces to put together a, a championship caliber team. Would you agree? Yes. And, and, but it's, to me, it's not just the, the melding of individual talents and things like that. Something happened to this team mentally mm-hmm. about two months ago and you can see it, you can see it in the way they play. Um, you know, you referenced that 99 Sweet 16 team, and I went back recently and read my recap of their round of 32 victory over uh, Auburn. Auburn was a five seed, Tech was a four seed. And the thing I remember about that game is that Tech just came out and just blasted Auburn from the get-go. Everybody remembers this. Everybody who lived through that remembers the stars of that team. But it was interesting to read my game recap, and there were a couple of players whose names I'd forgotten, and I actually don't remember them right now in the moment, who hit three-pointers when that game started. Boom, 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 Hmm. boom, like this. And that was just the mentality that team had back then, and I see the same thing in this team. 
And I'll get into some stats here in a minute, but just it, it boils down to stuff like Kayana, not Kayana Trail, Kayla King scoring 12 points in the first half. Yeah. Um, and, and providing production when it's needed, but they just, they're, they're not intimidated by anything. And to me, the, the number one person that's the ringleader in that is Georgia Amor. Everybody, you know, the, the announcers are always saying it about how she thinks she's the best player on the floor. Kenny texts her and said, who's the best player in the game? She's like me. That's not just a cute little thing she does. She really believes that, and she plays like it. I, I appreciate how every time they interview her after, it's not a cockiness, but there is a confidence to her, um, which I think is warranted when she's putting up the numbers she's putting up and making the plays she's putting up. Speaking of Georgia Amor, I wanted to ask you guys about um, she appeared to get hit in the jaw with a shoulder. I mean, you th- I thought she was done. Um, the way – and 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 – the way she got up and the way she was assisted off, it was very like football player, like Tua Tungavailoa earlier this season. I was like, she she honestly, to be honest, looked like she had some form of a concussion or something. She did not look right and uh, ends up not being the case and the toughness of her to come right back in. But like, what is this team without her? And what what, what is going through your head in that moment, Andy? Well, yeah, you see her sort of wobbly. If she gets up, and of course everybody goes to the same spot in their mind with the you know the concussion thoughts these days, and oh you got to make sure she's all right before she comes back in. I guess she's rugby tough or something. She's from Australia, <laughs> yeah, so she plays is, rugby. Uh, yeah, that was a, a moment of panic I think through the fan base that goes, oh man, if you don't have her, how are you going to do this? Cause I, I think she and uh, Kitley play so well off of each other. Yeah, uh, and, you know I know they do that podcast together. I think they play off each other well on that too, but. Just personality wise, I, I don't feel like Kitley is just like the the in your face kind of person, but but Amor will just you know try step back threes all the time. She's not afraid to do that kind of stuff. She's very aggressive like that. So I think they they're just a, a, an excellent pairing like that. But yeah, when I saw her kind of wobbly like that, I'm going, oh no, how are you going to break this press uh, without her? And then she comes back and she was fantastic the rest of the way. Yeah, the the texts started flying. The message board comments like, oh man, it's over. Yeah. You know, they've had such a great year and it's over. And then they show the clip of helping her to the locker room and you're like, <laughs> but then she comes right back out. I just don't know how you go from point A to point B so quickly like that. It did not look good. But. I actually te- texted my brother. He's actually a UVA graduate, but he's really enjoyed watching our women's team. And, and uh, I said, uh, wonder if she'll remember this game tomorrow. Like even when she was back in and playing well, I was like, wonder if she'll remember it, you know, and then. It's funny, not funny, right? You know, and and I don't think anybody's even going to explore that territory. But that was that was pretty remarkable to look like that and then come back in and play that well. You could tell she was okay though because one, the way she was celebrating, and then after the game, I mean, she's celebrating like like if your head hurt, you're not going to be screaming your head off and jumping up and down. And in the interview, she's laughing like she was fine. She was yeah. very clearly fine. Yeah. Um, and she played like her normal self. Uh, it was just a scary, scary minute there, but uh, glad she was able to come back. And how about, I mean, she goes like the first two minutes she's back in, hits a three in their face on the run. How about that step back three to end the third quarter? I feel like in that moment, that was when you were like, all right, Tech just won the game. It's a dagger moment. Yeah. I mean, they, they cut it down a little bit, and it, that was really the first breathing room I think either team had in that game. So you go into the fourth quarter and – I know things tightened up against Tennessee at the very end of that game, and you wonder, can they do the same Ohio State? They've got this this excellent press that maybe could create some problems, but she hits that. It's just like it's it's got to be deflating for the other team that you work so hard to, to get stay within range, and then boom, a three 
right at the end. And so it's, it's always a step back. She's got that step back thing. And I think that's even more demoralizing because it's like, oh man, she just made it three feet longer and she still nailed that three pointer. Right. And she like danced around the defenders. Will, I know you have uh, some interesting stats for us on this Ohio state game. Oh, I got a couple things I can talk about. Number one, um, I wrote about when they won the ACC championship, I wrote about how I went down there to Greensboro to watch them win the ACC championship, not to hope that they won it, but I knew they were going to win it. I didn't feel that way going into this weekend's games. Uh, Tennessee was playing really well. And if you get past Tennessee, there's UConn right after that. And they're on a roll. And I told a couple of people, I'm like, it's been fun, but I can't see them winning this and making the final four. And then they played Tennessee. And I thought Tennessee looked just, they had a deer in the headlights look. I don't know what Tennessee was thinking or where their minds were, but they looked completely inept on offense. And Virginia Tech took the lead. And I know, sure, Tennessee made a run by throwing that press on Tech. Um, and then after the Tennessee game, you hear about how great Ohio State's press is. And they were showing some clips of how they anticipate. They, they don't have a set way of running it. They just anticipate and fill passing lanes. And, you know, uh, when you hear that, in retrospect, what happened is obvious. Well, then don't pass. Just have your point guard just do her thing. And and Kenny set it up, and they set picks, and they scraped players off and gave her dribbling lanes. And mm-hmm. ten, uh, Ohio State stopped that stuff four minutes in. They're like, wow, we're getting our butts kicked. We got to just go back to playing regular basketball. And so it's, it's this interesting mental exercise where going in, I didn't think they could do it. And not only did they, did, did they do it, they just – I don't want to use the phrase easily, but they they controlled both games. So uh, and and so let's get to the the stats that I told you I wanted to give. Um, I think we all sensed this, but I, I ran the numbers yesterday. Um, in that Ohio that went over Ohio State, um, I thought Georgia played okay in the first half. Liz had ten points, but I didn't think she played all that well. She had four turnovers, and mm-hmm. I thought she was struggling with things. And so what happened to me that was really incredible was uh, Georgia and Liz combined for eight. Tech had 48 points. Georgia and Liz combined for 18 of them. The other players shot 9 of 13 from the field and scored 30 points. Kayla King, 12. Taylor Soul, 11. Kitley had 10. Amor had 8. Trailer had 5. Greg had 2. So 30 points from your less heralded players, 18 from your stars, and then in the second half it completely flipped. Um, you had, uh, let's see, Georgia and Liz combined for 31 points, and the other players scored five points. And, and I could bore you with shooting percentages and stuff like that, but it, it was, I mentioned Kayla King earlier in particular. Like, who thought going into that game, oh, yeah, Kayla King's going to be the difference? Um, and she really was in the first half. Those role players, role players in air quotes, yeah, they've all got their roles. They'd be stars on other teams. Man, they really stepped up in the first half at a time when Georgia was just playing okay, and and Liz had four turnovers. By the way, Liz had no turnovers in the second half, you know, and just really asserted herself in the second half. So, Well, it was an exciting game, no doubt about it. Anybody's final thoughts, maybe some thoughts on LSU, briefly surface-level stuff uh, uh, before we turn it over to uh, football and get Chris Coleman on the set. I know you're heading to uh, Dallas. David Cunningham is there. We're going to have full coverage down there. Uh, Exciting times to be a Hokie. I think the the Final Four is so interesting because, you know, Virginia Tech is not an afterthought here, certainly. 
this is front and center them making the final four, but you're going to look at all the other teams that are in Dallas this weekend. And I think they could get overshadowed a little bit. They could be sort of be lurking a little bit under the radar there. I mean, South Carolina going for back to back with Don Staley and a perfect season. Caitlin Clark is Stephen Curry of, of, of women's uh, hoops. Uh, you know, Pete Maravich reborn there. Uh, you know, LSU with Kim Mulkey, you know, dressed like Ric Flair circa 1984. Like these are like big personalities and like flashy teams there. And then there's just sort of solid, solidly good Virginia tech. Like they don't quite have that, you know, yeah. star appeal there. And, and that might be advantageous going to a situation like that where you're not going to go down there and everybody's talking about you and everybody is, you know, the cameras are all about you there. I mean, you're going to get some of that cause it's the final four, but um, I, I think if Kenny plays that right down there, he could use that to his advantage. I think I put this on our message boards, and I, and I may have tweeted it. I think the world needs a, a Georgia Amar, Amor, Caitlin Clark final. They, I, the world doesn't know it. I, the Zach Mackey Bowl. I could not agree more. Did that, you see the stat that uh, I think Kelly Graham like tweeted out that they have? They're like one and two in the. Uh, uh, NCAA tournament three pointers made. It's like twenty and nineteen or something like that. And I think the record's like twenty two. I might be might be misstating mm, that fact. Amor and Clark they're would both be, right on the cusp of it. It would be one of the best matchups, like yeah. in women's basketball national championship. Like it, that would be insane. Yeah, you know, and and usually uh, watching this when when I want Virginia Tech to win because I cover them and it's good for business, you know, among other things. Um, I. I, I don't. I can't quite find the phrasing I'm looking for, but I'll, I'll, so I'll cut to the chase. I really like watching Caitlin Clark play, and if it does wind up being an Iowa Virginia Tech final, and Iowa wins, uh, it's it's not good for Virginia Tech, but I'll get it. That that's that's one of the best players I've seen. I've only seen her play one or two games, but she's just a blast to watch. I think the Pete Maravich comparison is is fair. Um, so the only thing I can say about all I know about LSU, other than Kim Mulkey's fashion, and she's been she said very nice things about Tech, by the way. Um, is uh, um, Angel Reese, I believe, is their star center. I think I'm remembering the name correctly. Yep. Thirty-two double doubles this year. Um, that's a lot of double doubles. I think Liz has fifty-five in her career. Um, Reese is six-three. It'll be interesting to see Liz being three inches taller. Does that make a difference? But unfortunately, you know, we haven't had a chance to really research them and break it down. And hopefully you guys can do that on a, on a TSL today. And yes, we uh, will do that. Yeah. So, yep. we got David there. We're sending Andy down there. We're sending a photographer down there. We've got another photographer local. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to cover the heck out of it. Absolutely. Virginia Tech in the final four. It's got a big ring to it. Uh, I want to get, well, maybe we shouldn't jinx. What do we think? Predictions for the final four to the national championship game, or do we not want to jinx anything? Um, I'm not going to make predictions. I, I will say that if this team were to actually win it, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, they, they've got that look. I know the challenges are stiff, but I also thought they were in the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight, and look at what they did. So nothing will surprise me. I think... I'll make one prediction. I think Caitlin Clark and Iowa are going to beat South Carolina. It's bold. That could happen. It's that bold. Is bold. But I, I think, uh, and I also, if I'm tech, granted, you got to get through LSU. Um, if I'm tech, I would rather play Iowa than South Carolina. I think it matches up better. You kind of, they're good. Don't get me wrong, but they are 
They have one. If you can find a way to, if you hold Caitlin Clark to 30 points, you can win the game. Is is kind of my belief there. Yeah. It's but not really a good option either way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Self-care. Regardless. The of undefeated number one team, reigning national champ, or like the leading scorer in, in the <laughs> country. basketball. Right. Like, there's no good choice. The larger and more physical that the opposition gets, the the tougher it is for Virginia Tech. And that's South Carolina. Yeah, they're not built that way. Yeah, I do. I do think you're getting ahead of yourselves. LSU's up first. People are gonna say, "Well, you guys uh, are looking ahead here." Yeah. (laughs) Our uh, well, we don't play. Jake Jake Lyman. It's not gonna stop people from saying it. Jake Lyman saw Vanderbilt play LSU twice. I watched the game with him, uh, the Ohio State game with him, and he said, and and this is no knock on LSU at all. He said, if if you can beat um, Ohio State and Tennessee, he he played against Vanderbilt played against Tennessee and LSU twice, both of them twice, and he said that Tennessee is better than LSU. Interesting. So, um, so there's that. Former podcast host Jake Lyman going yeah. hard to the hole. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully I didn't just throw Jake under the bus. We'll take a short break. Step aside. Football coming up when we come back. Welcome back, Hokie fans, to episode 291 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, presented by First Bank and Trust Company. The TSL Podcast is also presented by the Hokie Way. We stand behind our community and the talented VT student-athletes within it. Through charitable donations to the Hokie Way, collegiate athletes can become a voice for the charitable organizations that surround us. Learn more about how to get involved at the Hokie Way. Thank you once again to our proud sponsors at First Bank and Trust Company and the Hokie Way. Chris Coleman back on set. Andy Bitter, of course, to my right. Will Stewart shifts over to the fourth chair, and we'll probably have him cue in at some point throughout. But let's talk a little bit of spring football, gentlemen. First and foremost, you guys had the opportunity to attend open practice on Saturday. What stood out to you? I guess we'll go Chris, then Andy. I guess what you first thing you have to realize about these open practices is it's not like the old open scrimmages where anybody could just go in and it's an 85 play scrimmage and it's tackled the ground the whole time and there's no individual drills. It's a lot different. You know, there's special teams practice, there's individual unit drills. Then they'll get together for like 12 plays and kind of scrimmage and then they'll break (laughs) back up into a special teams unit. So there's like no real rhythm to these things. And it was the first day in full pads. So there wasn't a lot of tackling to the ground. So there's not a tremendous amount you, you can take out of it. Uh, I, th- I think they have more receivers this year um, is one of the takeaways. I don't know if there's anybody as good as Caleb Smith per se. I guess we'll find out. But collectively, the group is better. Um, and, and there were a number of guys who were out with like little minor injuries and things like that. But uh, I, I think overall they have more team speed. At least they think they do. Uh, I, I think they have better options, more options at cornerback. Now uh, we'll talk about quarterbacks a little bit later. I know yeah. that's what everybody really wants to wants to talk. Yeah, about. we'll save that for uh, for the end of our segment today. So keep tuning in, Andy. I think I would always just caution people this early in spring not to draw too many firm conclusions. Uh, I know people like to parse through the quarterback. Uh, how many completions do they have in this scrimmage? It's like this is their first time in the stadium. You know, they're still working on situational stuff for the first time. So pump the brakes on some of the hot takes and some of this stuff right now. Uh, you know, I thought I'll, I agree with Brent Pry that I think this team is just deeper mm. across the board. I, I just think there are more guys that maybe they can trust to put in a game this season, uh, which, you know, last year 
they were playing a lot of guys out of necessity and playing a lot of guys more snaps than they probably need to be playing out of necessity, just they didn't have the depth there. And I'm not saying all their depth problems have been shored up. You look at the offensive line and it gets young very quick in the starting lineup. I mean, it's, it's, it's a young group there, even younger on that second team. But uh, I just think you look at receiver, especially, uh, you know, I think linebacker, it's some interesting guys. I know there were a lot of guys out, but I think they have some interesting guys there. Uh, you know, running backs, they're, they're, they've got a deep group there with with Tootin coming in as well. So I, I just think there's more options this year that they can turn to when things aren't going right. And, you know, I thought, you know, the best part of practice was right off the bat. <laughs> it was, they do this one-on-one. They took everybody down into the end zone. Uh, so we media all go down to that thing too. We sort of are perched above it, uh, that little stair-step part of the stadium. Uh, so we're right above this whole thing. They're lined up on the goal line and they do one-on-one matchups between the receivers and defensive backs. And the very first one, Brent Pry calls up Monsoor Delane on defense and Jalen Lane on offense. Uh, they snap it. Jalen Lane comes a couple, you know, kind of stutters off the thing, just shoves Monsoor back onto his back. <laughs> it breaks to the inside and easy touchdown catch. And Monsoor is getting up like, where's the flag? What is that? And, probably just like apparently talked to the officials later. He's like, it was right on the borderline of a flag, but we're going to let it go. And I think that kind of set the tone for the whole practice. And that was interesting to see because that is, that was the best player down the stretch last year for Virginia tech Monsoor, And to see a, a receiver come up and challenge him like that. I think it just sort of got the competitive juices flowing on the team. And I'm sure Monsoor will try to get him <laughs> back at some point and probably will. But I thought that was, a uh, very interesting way to kick off the practice. Ali Jennings, we had him on on uh, what was that Monday? That'll air today. Uh, he mentioned that specific play. So the other receivers in the room taking notice. And and when we asked, hey, who's 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 going to step up besides you in the receiver room? First guy said, oh, Jalen Lane's really good. He's really kind of he looks like a powerful guy. I mean, he's not a tall guy, but uh, he's 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 well built. I think he's got some short area burst. I, I think he's got strength, as he showed on that play. I, I think you can only be so good without being challenged. Like, it's kind of amazing to me sometimes that, like, Mansoor Delane as a true freshman played as well as he did last year when there was really only one receiver on the team that could really challenge him during practice. And he wasn't being pushed for playing time with any, anybody behind him either. So uh, I think competition helps everybody. I think that's a, that's a more competitive matchup this year Virginia Tech's wide receivers versus the defensive backs you know you throw Derek Kent to canteen in there and I think you've got three proven corners in there that can play and you know I, I don't think that they don't know who's going to start at wide receiver yet and that's a good thing like last year it was Caleb Smith and sort of everybody else and they were playing other people like by default like you have to put someone out there this right. year they're gonna they're gonna be able to choose uh, I think they're, they're, they're just, like you said, more options. And I think options brings out people's uh, like, you know, you have to compete for a spot and that's going to make you a better player. Well, just specifically with those receivers. I mean, last year, who was the number two receiver on the team? I mean, it's, it was Daywan I, th- I think te- technically speaking, he caught the second most passes yeah, J- out, Jayden, of, out of the receivers. Jaden yeah. Blue uh, didn't quite have the season that people thought he would. But, I mean, think about the terrible circumstances he went through in yes. the off season that yes. would be difficult for anybody, let alone somebody uh, even as mature as he was. Uh, but this year, uh, you know, Felton, Jennings, Lane, all here as transfers, uh, Lofton coming back. I know he didn't practice the other day. He's an option. Gosnell looks like a different body type yeah. altogether. He looks like he dropped 
15, 20 pounds. He looks a lot faster, more athletic. He caught a touchdown pass early in the back of the end zone in that little one-on-one drill against Dorian uh, and then did a backflip as a celebration before, and he, he pulled it off pretty seamlessly. So that's an athletic guy. I don't know that necessarily means he's going to catch a ton of passes, but he just looks better physically right now. And, and you know, I had Tucker Holloway to that mix because I think he's a lot more confident and a little more physically developed than he was last year as a freshman. He didn't get much run as a receiver last year obviously made that big impact on punt returns but I think he could be somebody who could get in there too well you had the opportunity to uh, sit down on Saturday with Fontel Mines yesterday uh, with Ron Crook he's a new addition to the staff so between the two I guess we'll start with Fontel Mines on Saturday what did they bring to the table in their short bit of uh, media availability Fontel is always a good interview I think he just feels a lot better about his his group that this year I, I feel like like there, there, there was nobody with, with the physical ability of Felton uh, on the team last year. Like there's a couple of times you go to, you're trying to get used to new numbers and everything like that and new players in the spring. So you got your roster and then you see somebody and you're like, who is number nine? That's Felton. He's tall. He stands out. Yeah, he stands the, out. The uh, yeah, he he looks the part. He looks like a big outside receiver that that you would like to have. Uh, Switch you need. Yeah, Christian Moss. I think has changed his body. He's had a good good off season in, in the weight room, and he's got a chance to get in the mix as well. Uh, when Brent Pry was on our podcast earlier this year, when I asked him who were the guys that have stood out in the off-season strength program, and one of the I think maybe the first guy that he mentioned was Christian Moss about how. He's really, he's more consistent with his work ethic and has really changed his body and things like that. So I, I think Fontel Mines, I, I bet he feels a lot better. I, I bet when, when he goes and watches the film after a practice, he feels like he's got more dudes, so to speak, now. Well, Ma, just a, a note on Moss. Pry said uh, before Christmas break that Moss came into his office and he said this in front of the team a couple of times where mm. he's really singling him out. He's like, I thought he was coming in to quit. <laughs> and he came in, he's like, I'm going to, you know, rededicate myself. I'm going to be better than ever. And he, you know, the, the winter workouts, he's telling that story to everybody because he was standing out in that whole thing. So I don't know what kind of impact he could have this year, but I think he's another one that you could add to that mix that, you know, that that's a much deeper group than they had yeah. last year for sure. Yeah. I, I, I remember specifically that was the biggest part of the Brent Pry interview that stood out to me was that that Christian Moss story thought he might be coming in to quit um, and then he said the other thing too is he's like all right it's one thing to say it but now I'll believe it when you actually do it he's done it uh the boss man over here giving the wave what do you got in the fourth chair uh I just want to encourage people you mentioned that we're going to post the triumph spotlight with Ali Jennings today Wednesday and I want to encourage people to uh watch that um first of all he's he's a good interview got a good personality uh, we were talking about Georgia Amore earlier. And Jennings is the same way. He's confident without being cocky. So it's it's an interesting watch. And in general, I would encourage people as much as possible to watch these Triumph Spotlights and, and hear the athletes talk and kind of share their experiences and, and get to know them a little better. Um, real nice guy. Yes. Large individual like the other day when we were watching practice. It's interesting. They threw a pass to number zero. And I hadn't looked at a roster, and I thought that's probably Ollie Jennings, you know. And plus, he's got a really sweet necklace you need to see. He did. <laughs> it was it was like diamonds all the way down. It said uh, AJ yeah. for his initials. It was, it was, it was pretty Very sweet. Nice. It yep. was nice, no doubt about it. Um, well, how about Round Crook on the other side of that? Talked to him yesterday. Yeah, I thought, I thought he was an interesting guy to talk to. You never know what those 
offensive line coaches. Some of them just be like crusty old coaches. They're just like, <laughs> what, what do you want? It's like, okay. And he wasn't like that, which is welcome uh, as a reporter when you talk to these guys. But I, I thought what stood out with him was that he sort of has this history with the Pry family. They haven't necessarily coached together. Uh, he knew some guys at East Stroudsburg where you know, Pry's dad had coached and Pry coached there, I think, in 93, 94. That was his first full-time coaching job. Uh, so they never, never were on the same staff like that, but they knew the same people. And so he reached out to the East Stroudsburg offensive coordinator there who's been there forever, like 50 years forever. And he's like, he said, Crookie, they're family. He's family. So that's sort of what sold him on the idea of uh, Virginia Tech being a good fit. So I, I think they're sort of, you know, in line with their thinking of what they want the offensive line to be. And I, I know people are going to say, well, does that mean Joe Rudolph wasn't? I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm just saying that I think they found somebody that's a good match personality-wise for the staff, scheme-wise for the staff, and, and seems to be sort of in tune with, with Tyler Bowen and the direction he wants to take this offense. You know, everything I've read about Crook so far is talking about keeping things simple. Uh, we've got, you know, Brandon Patterson is writing a two-part series about Crook, and he started it off last week and with, you know, talk about, Technique is important and everything, right? But, like, I think Joe Rudolph was so attention to detail. And I think Silas Janzi last summer was right to call him a genius. But I also think w when when you demand so much, it, it can take a long time to develop someone. And I don't know that, like, people have the patience for that in this day and age. You have to have a specific type of player, maybe. And he wasn't interested in recruiting the transfer for a portal clearly and so he's interested in developing guys over three four or five years which okay that's fine you can't leave after one year and then have that happen right so I, I think a guy like crook who is of course technique is important and everything like that but i i think it's good he's not going to have those guys thinking too much I think that was part of the problem with the Virginia Tech offensive line last year. They were so focused on these little minute details. you got to get your first step right, and then what's your second step, and then hand placement, and then oh, who do I have to block on this play? You know, there's just so many little things as an offensive lineman that I, that I think it really it hurt them last year in the short term. Uh, I don't think that'll be the case this year. I think it'll be more – more simple stuff uh not to suggest that there won't be a focus on technique and details and things like that but i i think crook is the type of 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 offensive lineman where it's it's easier to learn in a short amount of time and they need that i mean this is Absolutely. their third o-line coach in three years yes. and that's three different people giving them the message three different ways of describing techniques and that's sort of what he talked about was coming in and you know learning how they do things then sort of adapting how he you know, terms things or uh, teaches things so that it's in line with what they've known before to make that uh, transition smoother. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. I think that's still the biggest question mark uh, on this offense is it, how that group gels. It really and is. You're starting a, a redshirt freshman who's played like 20 snaps at left tackle. And uh, another redshirt freshman at left another guard. Another redshirt freshman <laughs> at left guard who's played parts of four games. Your best player on the line last year is switching positions to center and Caden Moore. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of question mark. And then you get to that second team and nobody's played. Right. <laughs> and, and you go, man, that, that drops off quickly in experience. So 
we'll see how he does with that. But I, I think uh, he could be a good fit just personality-wise with his staff. I think so. And he's still getting used to his personnel, too. Like, he didn't recruit these guys. He got hired three days before spring practice started. So it's not like he had several weeks to sit back and watch film and figure out exactly what he had. He's probably trying to figure out, is this guy a tackle or a guard? You know, one day Bob Schick is the number two right tackle, and then the next day he's the number one right guard. And and I, I think there's some of that going on. Is Johnny Garrett going to be a tackle or, or a guard? Would uh, Brody Meadows get a chance inside uh, to compete for one of those starting guard positions? Right now he's the number two left tackle. Uh, I would actually, like, I wish Tech had a little more tackle depth so they could try Meadows at guard because I think maybe he might be a better fit for that position. Uh, it'll be interesting to see in the second transfer portal window if there are any or which offensive linemen are available and if Tech makes a move because there are four or five redshirt freshmen in the two deep, including two in the starting lineup. And, you know, we saw some teams last year like like Duke signed – Three, three offensive linemen in the transfer portal. They all started, and Duke you know, improved from three wins to, to nine wins on the season, and all those offensive linemen played well. It is possible to bring in three new offensive linemen and have them mesh within with your offensive system quickly You know, if you know what you're looking for. I think normally in the in the winter transfer window that just finished, there is more there are more players, more talent available than there's going to be in the summer. But I'll be interested to see if there are one or two offensive linemen av- available that could potentially help if Crook decides to to make a move. Well, there's your first little sample of uh, Chris Coleman, Andy Bitter back and forth. I don't know if it gets much better than that. Uh, let's talk quarterbacks. I think that's something that everybody always uh, wants to hear uh, on a surface level. You got a quarterback battle between Grant Wells, Kyron Drones. You also have a lot of quarterbacks rostered at this point in spring ball. Uh, so I'll just turn it over to you guys for a quarterback discussion. Yeah, well, something's got to give a quarterback. I can't imagine they're going to go into the season with six quarterbacks, scholarship guys on the roster, and perhaps the transfer portal uh, solves that dilemma after spring if somebody doesn't like their standing or somebody uh, position switch possibly. I know Devin Farrell's not prototypical size. They've talked about his positional versatility in the past, but it seems like him and Taj Bullock are sort of neck and neck still for that third spot or at least the, the third guy taking snaps. Um, I thought the thing I was struck by most at practice, and again, I, I caution, this is early in practice, so this is just sort of first impressions, was I thought Wells threw the ball very sharply the yeah. other day. He was on target, you know, short, compact motion, and, and this is thrown against air all the time, mind you. This is not, you know, in the face of pressure or anything like that. And, you know, Kyron Drone comes in there, a little bit longer delivery, kind of loops the ball down. And, you know, I'm, I'm no mechanics expert by any means, but I, I know that you try to shorten up the throwing motion, not quite as on target as Wells was. And I, you know, I think Pry said as much afterwards about, you know, Wells being pretty sharp with his throwing drones, helping in other ways. Uh, but this is spring practice number five or six. And I would expect that to be the dynamic between the guy who's, been a starter in college for three year, three years, was in the system last year, has a comfort level here, and the guy who is, you know, barely played two years out of high school. You know, great tools and everything with Kyron Drones, but it's going to take him a while to adapt here and, and sort of find his groove as a thrower. So that's sort of where I would put the initial setup of the quarterback race, and, you know, it's going to be – it's going to play out over the next – you know, four or five months here, but uh, that's sort of a starting point, I would say. I think when you when you look at Wells versus Drones, 
Wells has played over 2,000 more career snaps. He's thrown over 1,000 more passes in his career. He's two years older, and he's got one year in the system. Like, if you thought Kyron Drones was going to be close to Grant Wells on the depth chart after five or six practices, then then that's not a Drones issue. That That's your expectations being out of whack because of his high school star ranking, right? Uh, he, he's a very raw player. He completed 49% of his passes as a senior in high school. He's just only just learning the system. He's only, he's got a bunch of new teammates that he's throwing to that he's never played with before. He's adjusting to new coaches. Like, unless he's Superman, he was not going to make a run up the depth chart this, this early. The spring for him is going to be about learning the system. And then after the spring is over, going back and watching the film, having a little bit of reflection from, with the coaches. Here's what I need to improve on. Uh, here, here's what I need to work with. Here's what we want to do offensively and how can I fit in. Making those improvements over the summer and then making it a quarterback battle in August. Right now, it, the, the, there's no quarterback battle right now. Wells is the guy because Drones is still learning the plays, still learning the plays, learning the system, everything like that. If he's going to compete for the starting job, it's going to be in August because he's so inexperienced. Um, so I, I think people... I think people saw that star ranking when he was in high school and heaped too many expectations on him early on. Like, and I'm, I'm, I, I don't think that's fair to him. I think he's has talent and he's a good prospect, but it's, he can't just come in and, and beat out the incumbent starter just like that. He doesn't have the knowledge within the system. So I don't even think we need to be talking about a quarterback battle until August because he's got still has a lot of knowledge that he has to soak in between now and then. I would push back on saying Wells is the guy right now. Right. I would say if they, if they played a game tomorrow, yeah, he's that's, probably that's the what guy, I mean. That's but what they're I mean. not going to play a game right. tomorrow. Right. Another thing, Drones looks like he's dealing with a little bit of an ankle. He is. Uh, yeah, taped up, kind of favoring a little bit the other day. I'm sure that, that factors in. But uh, I would imagine they finish spring and there's no declaration on the right. quarterback race. Oh, they're going to yeah. let this thing play out. Uh to probably it wouldn't surprise before. me two weeks before the season. Yeah, That's absolutely. Typically when some of these things have gone, even you know, even if it's ostensibly a quarterback battle in the history of Virginia Tech, they would let it play out. I mean, when Gerard Evans got here, everybody's like, it's going to be Gerard Evans. They didn't name him the starter until a week and a half before the season. So I think these coaches, especially in the transfer portal era where you're like, you want to let these guys compete. Mm -hmm. And you certainly don't want to declare anything too early, and then all of a sudden somebody else runs off to another school because they want to play. Mm -hmm. And I'm not faulting players for doing that. They want to play. That, that's something that they want to do. So as a head coach, I think you've got to keep that open. You've got to keep options there and, and make guys believe that they can still win this thing. We saw last year Brent Pry was later announcing the Grant Wells versus Jason Brown competition than he probably could have. Like, that was never really what I would term a close competition between we, we Wells and Brown. We asked Brad Glenn about it. It's like, how, how is Wells better? He's like, in every way, considerably. Right. right. And it, it, was never, it was never really close. It, it was, was never like, close. But they, still, they said that J Jason Brown got better in August right. and maybe closed a little bit, but that Wells had such a significant advantage the whole time that it wasn't really a question. Right. But they still didn't officially name the starter. Until what, mid-August? Yeah, it was middle of August. Yeah, yeah, the middle of August. So they let that thing go longer than they could have. I would expect them to do that similarly this year. I would say at least mid-August before they before there's an announcement made. 
All right, well, what's coming up this week? I know Andy's heading down to Dallas as soon as we wrap up the podcast. Chris, what do you have coming up this week? Will, um, a lot of stuff to be on the lookout for. It's uh, normal stuff for me. I will sit back here and mind the football fort while everybody else goes to Dallas. So it's going to be, I believe Brandon Patterson should have his part two about Ron, uh, Ron Crook tomorrow. And then I'll have a Q&A on Friday. Perfect. Andy, for you? I'm just going to find the best women's basketball stories down there I can. Awesome. Help out David. David's the David's the pilot here. I'm the wingman. So, <laughs> and that sometimes that frees you up to go find some some other stuff that's uh, pretty cool. The stuff. beat writer doesn't usually the, the beat writer has to do the the meat and potato stuff, and I get to do the dessert. Cool. Looking forward to that. Will anything for you? Nothing. The boss man shakes his head no. <laughs> He's <laughs> a man of words. Bills, man. No, no, need, no need to speak. All right. Well, that wraps things up on episode 292 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Today's show was brought to you by First Bank and Trust Company and the Hokie Way. Thanks so much for watching and listening. Don't forget to go ahead, like, and subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe to Tech Sideline so that you can get all of our exclusive content. And we'll see you next time on the Tech Sideline podcast.